The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles with me this evening. Let's turn together to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I'll read verses 1 through 4 if you'll read silently with me as I read aloud. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together tonight. I do pray that you would bless us as we study your word. I pray that, Father, you'd help me to, uh, to speak those things that you would have me speak and, and bless the hearers. And, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace is the topic of our subject. We began last Wednesday evening talking about the majesty of grace. And uh, I mentioned some things about the majesty of grace. I said, first of all, that the majesty of God's grace is seen in, in the plan of grace. It's seen in eternity past as God planned and, and, and set about to, uh, to, to impart to us his marvelous grace. Uh, it's also, I said last week, the majesty of God's grace is seen in the provision of this grace and the way in which he provided grace for those that believe. And thirdly, last week we talked about the majesty of grace as being seen in the perseverance of grace. And uh, certainly our grace is a divine gift from God as it perseveres through our most difficult times in life. And we spoke last Wednesday evening about this matter when Paul went to the Lord in prayer. Uh, three times he besought the Lord for an answer to a prayer, and God's answer to Paul was what? My grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, he said, Paul, you don't need anything more than what I have already given you, which is my grace. Grace, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And we often sing songs about grace and we, we talk about grace and we, we, we speak of the grace that God has given us. But do we really understand it? Do we really fathom how majestic grace is? Well, this week we're going to talk about, number two, the magnitude of grace. Not only is God's grace majestic and and we studied that last week, and if you weren't here, uh, you can obtain a copy of that. You can listen to it online uh, as an MP3 file. But we need to understand this thing that we call grace. It, it needs to be more than just a word to us, something that we say, something that we, we believe we have but fail to properly, properly apply in our lives. Let's go back to Romans chapter 10, and let's look at verse number 8 together. Paul writes here, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice Paul's statement in verse 12. In verse 12 he says, for there is no difference. Here Paul establishes the truth that all men are equally under sin. All men are depraved. As we clearly stated Sunday evening, if you were here Sunday evening and we talked about the cost, the price of our liberty, I said the, that we have to understand why the price was necessary. And if you remember, the first thing I said is that we looked at the depth of our own depravity, the depth at which man is evil and wicked. And we may want to sit in this room tonight and we may want to think that, that we're above that, that we're beyond that. But the truth of the matter is, is we are all equally wicked. We are all equally evil under the law, under the flesh. Salvation is not distributed by superiority of carnal descent or fleshly privilege. Uh, your children are not going to be saved just because you're saved. And there is nothing, you may have, you may have multiple college degrees and you may have doctorates and PhDs and BVDs and everything else. I don't know what you have. But none of it is going to draw you one inch closer to God. None of it is going to draw you one inch closer to salvation. For all men, there is no difference, Paul said. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. All men are equally condemned under sin. Now this tr truth negates the notion that if God chooses some men to eternal life, then he must choose other men for eternal damnation. This is not true. The proponents to, to election and grace will argue this point. That, that God is unjust. He's unjust in the fact that he condemns some men to hell while he favors other men. God favors no man uh, in, in that way. All men are condemned. All men are lost. All men are, are going to hell. And unless God calls some men to repentance, all men will be lost. Here Paul confirms that God has chosen men from every walk of life, Jews and Gentiles, from every nation, from every kindred, from every, every tribe. This is what is implied in scriptures in Luke chapter 17, verses 34 through 36, where we read, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the, in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Notice, if you will, in this passage of scripture, that the pronouns men and women are in italicized print. Can anyone tell me why they're in italicized print? Anyone, anyone know? They were not included in the original manuscript. The translators uh, inserted these words and therefore they italicized them. So you know they inserted them. Uh, they're not incorrect, but they're put in there simply 
to help us understand the passage. This passage, when applied as written, strongly expresses God's distinguishing providence and saving one and not another. It shows the very distinct way in which God elects and chooses. Now, with the time that we have this evening, uh, I'd like us to consider the magnitude of God's grace. What do I mean by the magnitude? I mean the, 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 the vastness at which this grace is distributed and, and exists. So let's consider the magnitude of the grace of God. First, letter A tonight, the magnitude of God's grace is seen in past history. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, there are so many Christians today who try to justify their poor behavior, who try to justify their lack of, of discipline in their Christian life, and they say, you know, things are so much harder today than they used to be. I mean, they say, you know, with the Internet, everything is more readily available. Everything is easier to get to. Well, what about in Noah's day? Noah, they didn't have internet in Noah's day. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't even have dumb phones. They had no phones in Noah's day. Yet we see that in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Even, even in Noah's day, there was great wickedness amongst all the people. So much so that God decided he would destroy the earth. So let's quit hiding behind the excuse that things are so much harder today than they were then. See, the truth of the matter is that God's grace reached even into past history, all the way back to Noah. The grace of God was in effect. This man and his family, in verse 8, it says, but Noah found, what's that word? What's that word? Grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even Noah even in Noah's day, even in Adam's day, there was grace from God. God's grace was, was there. That's the magnitude of the grace of God. It was God's grace was in, in the beginning before he created anything. God had already established his grace. And I'm talking about, as we mentioned last week, grace for living. The grace that you and I as believers need to conduct our everyday life in holiness before God. This man and his family were the only exception to the general apostasy of the time. God always, we see in scripture, always reserves some. Even in the worst of times, God reserves some for himself. You remember the story of Elijah. Elijah started feeling sorry for himself when Jezebel said she was going to kill him. And he took off and ran away like a, little, like a little puppy with his tail between his legs. He ran up into the mountains. And he was up there and he was pouting and he was whining before God. Oh God, all men forsake you. I'm the only one. I'm the only one, Lord, who's standing for you. 
In First Kings 19, verse 18, we hear God tell him, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. There was a remnant. According to the election of grace, according to God's grace, there was a remnant of believers. And the same is true today. In Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, we read these words, I say then, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Uh, what ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life? But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, Paul writes, at that present time, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And I say that today. There is still, God still has reserved unto himself a remnant of people that, that have not bowed to Baal, that will not succumb to this world, that will live for him by his grace. Albeit this remnant was a small one. And today certainly we must understand that we are in the minority. Do you realize exactly how few people there really are in this world that truly, truly believe in the doctrines of grace? They're very few and far between. You don't have to, you don't have to delve into this too difficult. Just contact just get in touch with some of the church members who have left here and gone to other areas of the country. And ask them how easy has it been to find a church that believes the doctrines of Berean Baptist Church. Oh, there are some out there. There's a remnant. I'm not going to stand here tonight and say that we alone are left. There's a remnant, but it's a small remnant. It's a, we're a minority. And this election was, was owing to the grace of God and to his choice upon those whom he has called and not to the merits of the creature. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, Paul writes, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And, and the remnant that God has, has called into himself is not based upon man's works. It's not based upon, upon man's talents or abilities. It's based upon the sovereign grace of God. It's based upon grace. Noah did not find grace because he built the work, the ark. Did you hear me? He didn't find grace because he built the ark. In fact, Noah was not saved because he built the ark. Noah was saved because he found grace in the sight of God. He built the ark because he was in submission to God. God told him of things not yet seen. And he moved by faith and built the ark. However, God revealed his plans to Noah because Noah was under the grace of God. So we can see from this that God's grace reached back to the beginning of time. God's grace didn't just begin at Calvary. God's grace was present in the days of Noah and at the time of Noah. But then the magnitude of God's grace, letter B, is, is seen secondly in present circumstances we see the grace of God today in our present circumstances 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 we read, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, first in this passage, I want us to understand that, that there is no temptation that you're ever going to face that hasn't already been faced by someone else. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible tells us. We know the wiles of the devil. We know the, work, the, the ways that Satan works. And so there is no unique temptation that you are going to face that cannot be conquered by the grace of God. And this we know. And, and secondly, in this passage of scripture, I want you to see that God has not allowed us to be tempted beyond our ability to endure. If you are a parent tonight, if you have children, you would never, you would never allow your children to be subjected to something that you know would hurt them. Something that you know would cripple them. You wouldn't allow it. You'd put a stop to it. Do you think God is any different than, than, than me as a father? Do you think that God is going to allow you to, to face a situation that you're unable to face? He knows you can face it because he's given you the grace to face it. He's given you, he's empowered you, he's enabled you to resist temptation. He's given us the grace. This is the way to escape. There is, there is one thing that is common to all men tonight. There's one thing common to all of us, and that is heartache. Every one of us in this room has or will face heartache. Heartache comes in many forms. Heartache can come in financial problems. Financial worries and, and the troubles that we face because of this. Yet we need to remember that God has given us a grace to escape this. He promised us, he promised us in Matthew that, that he would not leave us nor forsake us. He promised that he will provide all things that we need. He's promised us this. Now, I think sometimes the reason these things give us trouble is because we want more than, than we need. We, 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 we deem ourselves to be more worthy of things, and, and the things that God gives us, we, we take for granted and we don't appreciate. But heartache comes in finance. It comes in marital problems. Heartache comes in marital problems. Husbands and wives having having problems, but yet God gives us a solution to that too. He says, what does he say? Husbands, what? Love your wives. Hmm? And wives, what does he tell you to do? He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Do you notice God didn't say, wives, love your husbands? You know why? Because women love. Women have an innate ability to love. They just naturally love. But God had to tell husbands, remember, remember along the way, husbands, love your wives. Because why? Because men are more mechanical. We're more rote. We, we do things because they're, they're things to do. Huh? Yeah, we get up and we say, well, you know, she ought to know I love her. I told her so 40 years ago. If it changes, I'll let you know. No, no, no. God says love. You know, the same thing is true about children. God, God commands us fathers to love our children. He commands us to be patient with them and, and to, to admonish them, not, 
not to not to be uh, not to throw stumbling blocks in front of them. And 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 their God's grace will help us through these marital problems. Husbands, make your wives the most important thing in your life, and and wives, make your husbands the most important thing in your lives. And, and, and this great love between the two of you will, will remedy problems. You're still going to have problems, but they won't threaten your marriage. And that's the big thing. Uh, heartache comes from family problems. Children, errant children, uh, wayward children. You know, let me, let me just say something here. Be, be slow and careful about criticizing someone's children. Do that. Especially those of you who have younger children. Don't criticize the old, old, older children because, let me tell you, I've had, people, I've had people come up to me and tell me something while their children are this age, which when they're this age, it's easy to make them listen to you. But when they get up here, things aren't so easy. And be slow to, to be critical of people. Be helpful. Look for ways to help people. But family problems come along. And, and, and again, in Scripture, we're told how to handle those things. Fathers, to bring up your children in fear and admonition of the Lord, not troubling them. Children, honor your parents. Respect your parents, you, you young people here, especially you teenagers. Respect your mother and father. They're the ones that gave you life. They're the ones that have fed you and clothed you and taught you and prepared you. And let me tell every young person in this room, I've said it probably a hundred times to you, you might be sick of hearing it, but you're going to hear it again. Anyone who would attempt to drive a wedge between you and your parents is not a friend. Stay away from people like that. Anybody that will come to you and criticize your parents to your face, anybody that will come to you and try to get you to turn on your parents, they're a viper, they're a snake. Turn them away from you and tell them to get lost. And by the way, don't be nice about it. The greatest, the greatest friends you have, if you're, a children, if you're a child in this room, the greatest friends you have are your parents. And don't forget that. Uh, heartache comes in illness. How many of you are healthy tonight? You think? You think so? You sure about that? Hmm? You know, everyone that ever walked into a doctor's office and got bad news walked in, they thought, healthy. Life is brief. It's but a vapor that appears for a little time that vanisheth away. Illness is a heartache that, that we face. But, but we find comfort again. We find grace in Scripture to handle that. Knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. That's right. And the last one I have on my list here, and there are many more heartaches, but the last one I have is death. Death. Death breaks your heart. When, when, when a loved one dies, when your, your parents or your grandparents or a friend or someone close to you dies, it breaks your heart. It's so heartbreaking to, to see someone face death. But yet again, the scripture gives us hope and grace in that. So we see that in all of these things that we can face, all the heartaches we can face, we can go forward. We can overcome. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A moment ago we saw that Paul wrote that even in the midst of trouble, God has made a way for us to escape. And that way of, of escape is in his grace. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. By the way, escape does not necessarily mean that we avoid problems completely. It can be interpreted as overcoming the authority or overcoming the influence of the present situation. Think for a moment about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they escape the fiery furnace? Did they escape being thrown into the fiery furnace? Let me put it that way. No, they didn't. They had to face that trial, didn't they? They were bound. And they were cast in their clothing, bound hand and foot into the lake of fire, into the, into the fiery furnace. But did it consume them? No, it did not. They overcame. They conquered. But they had to face the trouble. Think about Daniel. Daniel was cast into the lion's den, but devoured not. He would no longer be subject to the king's command. He was set free from, from this, and he overcame this, 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 this tribulation and this trial placed upon him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they were thrown into the furnace, they told Nebuchadnezzar, they'd say, uh, we, God will deliver us from your hands this day. Now, they, they went into the furnace, but they came out victors. And they came out, and they were no longer subject to the, to, the, to the commands of the king. Consider Paul. He was beheaded. Yet, he stands in the presence of Christ at this very moment. And he will be there throughout eternity. He was victorious. He overcame. He conquered. He had to face the trial, yes. But he conquered. Even in, in death, he, he, he found victory. Through it all, these men endured because of the grace given them by God. This grace for life. This grace to live. It may be tonight that God is going to call upon you to suffer for him. It may be tonight that he is going to, that he is going to call upon you to go through great travail. And suffer great heartache. And suffer great loss for his namesake. That may be the, the situation. But, but fail not to know that he has given you the grace to get through it. The grace to succeed. The grace to overcome. So we must learn to live by, the, by this grace. And we see this grace in, the, in past history. We see it in the life of men like Noah. Men like Abraham. We see it in their life, in men like Joseph in the past. We see it in the present time. We see it in our lives daily. We, we saw it in the lives of Paul and other New Testament believers. But thirdly, this tonight, letter C, I want us to see that the magnitude of God's grace is also seen in prospective victory. In Galatians chapter 6, we read from verses 7 through 10, we read, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, due season, you ought to underline those words in your Bible, due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I say prospective victory because though the victory is promised to you and I, it is also incumbent upon our complete surrender and submission to God and his principles for us. In other words, what, what are you sowing in your life tonight? What seeds are being sown? That's what Paul is asking in, in Galatians chapter 6. He said, God, God isn't mocked. You're not going to sow the wrong kind of seeds in your life. You're not going to live your life in a foolish, careless manner and, and reap great benefits. What you sow, you're going to reap. You sow trouble, you're going to reap trouble. You sow righteousness, you're going to reap righteousness. Are you sowing seeds of obedience tonight? In your Christian life, in your spiritual life, are you obedient to God? Are you faithful to, to prayer? Are you faithful to his scripture? Are you faithful to love one another as we're commanded to do? Are you faithful to do all the things that the Lord has, has commanded of us? Are you sowing seeds of submission? Is God first in your life? Is he? Because if God is first in your life, it's pretty evident. Uh, you, you ought to know that. People can tell whether you love the Lord or not. They can tell, not by what you say, but, but by what you don't say. By what you do when, when, when you're away from here. People see that. And I'm not talking about other people in church. I'm talking about people on the outside. I'm talking about unsaved people, your family. They see what you do. Are you in submission to God? Are you sowing to the Spirit? Are you living a Spirit-filled life? All of the attributes of the Spirit-filled life are listed in the Scripture. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. All these things are these parts of your life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. That word fruit is singular, by the way. You don't, if, if, you're, if you're truly spirit-filled, then you have all of these characteristics in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Are you, are tonight, are you sowing to the flesh? And the corruption that therein exists. Are you sowing to the world? And all that is contained therein. First, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, what is this? The lust of the flesh is the, the things you desire to do, those things you want to do. That's the lust of your flesh. The things we want to do. The lust of the eyes. Those are the things you desire to have. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. You know, the world's full of, 
The world is full of attractive allurements. They, 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 they tend to draw people in. And, and even good Christian people develop, develop desires. They develop things that they want. They fall, they fall prey to the lust of the eyes. What else is in the world? The pride of life. These are all the things you desire to be. This is the selfish life. This is a life that doesn't care how it affects anybody else around them. It, don't, it only cares about self. Am I happy? Am I content? Do I have what I want? Am I, am I fulfilling my desires, my hopes, and my dreams? What about God? What about fulfilling God's desires? What about doing the things God wants us to do? What about living for others? What about, what about seeing others, the Bible says, better than ourselves? Looking to the needs of others. Looking to the things of those around us. Helping those that we can help. Doing for others the things that we can do. But this world is full of selfishness. It's full of pride. It's, it's full of envy. It's full of hatred. It's full of violence. These are not of God. And they will keep you from living a life that glorifies God. The victory is ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 57 and 58 we read, But thanks be to God, which giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always growing in Christ. This is, the, this is the will of the Father for his children. The victory is ours if we don't give up. If we just don't quit. Now, examine your own heart tonight. Don't, don't think about anybody else, anywhere else in this entire world. Examine your own heart tonight. Are you doing all that you can do for God? If God called you home now, if your time to go was right now, are you, would you stand before the Lord and, and be able to say, Lord, I did all that you called me to do. Paul could do that. Paul said, what did he say? I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Are you doing all that you can for God? I don't care, I don't care if, you're, if you're six or if you're 60. Are you doing all that you can do for God right now? Let me ask you another question. Are you giving him all of you? Or are you holding back? Have you surrendered everything in your life, all that you are, all that you have, have you surrendered all of this to God? Have you given it all to the Lord as 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 Isaac did. When Abraham and Isaac walked up the mountainside, Isaac looked at his dad and said, Hey, Dad, I see the fire and I see the wood. But where's the, where's the offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Isaac knew what was going on. Isaac stood there and, and knew, I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrifice. And you know what? He didn't run from his dad. He didn't fight with him. He didn't struggle. He didn't battle. He just he accepted what had to be. 
He gave all of himself to God. He held nothing back. What about you tonight? God comes to you and demands of you a sacrifice. Your life, perhaps, or something else. Will you go quietly and peacefully to God, or will you go screaming and, and yelling and fighting? What would it take tonight to make you quit on God? What would it take? To get you to the point where you would just quit. Throw in the towel and walk away. I've heard this. A man's character is not measured by what it takes to make him start. But by what it takes to make him quit. Anybody can start. Any, any, anybody can start a marriage. Do you have enough character to finish it? Anybody can start a life for Christ. But do you have enough character to finish it? Are you submitted to God? Have you given him all of yourself and held back nothing? Lord, such as I am, I give myself to you. Will you be a finisher or will you be a quitter? These are very pointed questions. But they're questions that must be answered. Because the time will come when you will have to face these things. Don't, don't deceive yourself. You will face trials. You will face trouble. You will face persecution and tribulation and all these things. You will. At some point in time. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can you make this statement tonight concerning your own life? Could you stand before God right now if you had to and say, I've, Lord, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Well, if you can, then praise the Lord because it's by his grace that you can but if you can't, change it. Change it. Don't, don't say, oh, it's too late. I can't, I can't do anything about it. No, it's not too late. It's never too late. That's the, one, that's the greatest thing about our God. It's never too late. It's never too late to get right with God. If you couldn't stand before the Lord tonight and look him in the eye and say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Then do something about it. Go home tonight, get on your knees, repent, ask God to forgive you. Confess your faults and your sins. And then get up and start walking worthy of Christ. Start living your life to the glory of God the Father. The magnitude of God's grace. It reached into the past all the way we see in scripture, all the way to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. It's, it's available in our present day. And God's grace will carry us through to that time when we depart this life. Grace of God, its magnitude is from the beginning to the end, from Alpha to Omega. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful thing we call grace. Thank you for your, your gift of grace and, the, uh, Father, the, the effect and influence it has in our lives. And we just ask you, Lord, to help us understand 
this grace for living that you've given us, that we might live by grace and we might walk in grace. Thank you for all these things. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.